What is Zionism? Zionism is a political and national movement aimed at creating and sustaining a Jewish state in the Middle East. Now, according to many traditional and orthodox Jewish teachings, Jews are forbidden by God to have their own state until their Messiah comes. But this hasn't stopped Zionism from pushing towards that very goal. So where did this all start? Let's go back to 1897. A man named Theodore Herzl formed the World Zionist Organization. He advocated for the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine, and is even mentioned in the Israeli Declaration of Independence. It was tough to be a Jew in Europe in that time, with anti-Semitic sentiments rising. Herzl felt the only way for his people to live in peace was for them to have their own country. Palestine was chosen, and a popular slogan started spreading around the world. A land without a people, for a people without a land. The only problem was, Palestine wasn't a land without a people. A large number of Muslims and Christians, along with a smaller number of Jews, had been living there together, in peace, for centuries. But for many Christian Zionists living in the West, and Jewish Zionists living in Europe, that made little difference. Following the fall of the Ottoman Empire at the end of World War I, and along with British support, Jewish immigration to the newly British-occupied Palestine was steady in the early 20th century. Then there was a turning point, World War II. Following the Holocaust, the flow of Jews to occupied Palestine boomed, and many Western countries began backing the idea of a Jewish state in Palestine. Although a UN resolution recommended both an independent Arab and Jewish state in the region, Israel went ahead and declared their independence in 1948, and was recognized by US President Harry Truman that very same day. The Zionist movement had achieved its main victory. In the period after its establishment, Israel carried out an invasion of neighboring countries, and at the end of 1967's Six-Day War, Israel extended its control in the region, displacing countless Christian and Muslim Palestinians. A year later, the 28th World Zionist Congress adopted the Jerusalem Program, a list of five goals, which are the current makeup of modern Zionism, the unity of the Jewish people and the centrality of Israel in Jewish life, the ingathering of the Jewish people in its historic homeland, the strengthening of the state of Israel, which is based on the prophetic vision of justice and peace, the preservation of the identity of the Jewish people through the fostering of Jewish and Hebrew education, and the protection of Jewish rights everywhere. In practice, their goals of justice and peace have been lost to many of the non-Jewish people living in the region. The Israeli military has been illegally controlling and occupying much of Palestine, and constant new illegal settlement building on Palestinian land by the Zionist state has been condemned by much of the international community. So what do you think about Zionism? Hello, welcome to the show. The clip you heard was about the Palestinians and the Israelis and all that all of which I'm slightly confused about and have been, but I do think there's something here about this Muslim hate they have going on. So let's start off. Welcome. Welcome to the show. You might have heard me use the expression, let's go Brandon, and then talk about President Joe Biden. In case you're not from here, let's go Brandon is a political slogan 
an internet meme used as a euphemism for, watch my language here, fuck Joe Biden. It is in reference to the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden, during his first year in office. The phrase, let's go, Brandon, was what actually was happening was people in the audience, there was a sporting event, okay, with a race car driver named Brandon. People in the audience, this Brandon guy was being interviewed by a newscaster. People in the audience were chanting, fuck Joe Biden, fuck Joe Biden, okay? So the newscaster, for whatever reason, said, this, the newscaster said the spectators at the NASCAR race were shouting, let's go Brandon, when he was really saying, Fuck Joe Biden. So that was a chant that people now do here. It's about, if you want to know what more, see my show I did about teams over on YouTube to explain how they use that one very simple trick effectively. So um, I found a piece. Today I'm going to be talking about several things. And first let me clarify a piece about the Jesuits that I found. Very interesting a lot of their personality type is how they could also be tracked, right? Okay, this was what somebody wrote. Obviously, the Jesuits were not expelled from many nations, even Catholic nations, because of their education or charity work. They were expelled for engaging in and carrying on subversive political plots against humanity to advance their own cause. Between nineteen no excuse between fifteen fifty five and nineteen thirty one, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuit Order, was expelled from at least eighty three countries, city states for engaging in political intrigue and subversion plots against the welfare of the state, according to the records of a Jesuit priest, some guy named Thomas J. Campbell. Practically every instance of expulsion was for political intrigue, political infiltration, political subversion, and inciting to political insurrection. We have the insurrection act going on here now, right? The Jesuits are known for their deception, spying, infiltration, assassination, and revolution. They worked deep into the political field and plotted through politics through the world countries. When the Jesuits are expelled from a country, they simply change strategies and return to the country they were expelled from under a new disguise. The following sums up their operational strategy. This is the Jesuits saying this. We came in like lambs and will rule like wolves. We will be expelled like dogs and return like eagles. Well, just let that settle in for a minute. (laughs) So remember, some of this is just me thinking. But also remember that as a young child, I did think that Santa Claus was true. But unlike Santa Claus, I wouldn't be telling you this if I thought it was completely crazy or a lie, okay? It sounds just like them, right? And anyway, so yeah... I don't know how. I think that when I was looking at Malta a couple of years ago, there's a part about Malta and Jesuits that slipped off my track here, and I'll get to that in a minute here, okay? Um, so, 
At the end of the show, I'll play you a clip from the Maltese Falcon from 1941. I found a radio version of the Maltese Falcon that I thought you might enjoy. The Maltese Falcon has to do with his Malta deal, okay? What does Malta do, you're screaming? Well, Malta, I realized yesterday I'd been looking into it for quite a long time because um, I have Malta files that I'd opened, and I was trying to scratch my head and think, what was I thinking about with Malta? Because I immediately yesterday looked and I saw the Jesuits, and I saw the world, word Malta. And I thought, Malta? I've been zooming around Malta. So let me read to you what I said at the time. Sometimes I leave myself notes about things. So these are my comments from these old files that I found. The Maltese cross. It's all about how they sneak into countries and families in Europe and overtook everything by force and financial magic. <laughs> You will see the UK, Queen, Adolf, all royals, and the EU Union use it. I was talking about the Maltese cross, which they wear. Always giving themselves rewards. They love the Maltese cross in particular. The cross is actually a pyramid if folded together. Have in mind the pyramid in Egypt has not four, but eight sides which can only be seen from the air when the sun goes down. So again, symbols are often from Egypt or Sumeria. I don't know where I got that from. And here's, I know why I was getting this one. Let me read this one. The Hospitalier Templar, an old, an old order, was later divided into knights, priests, and servants. I think we're the servants. <laughs> um and I went on to say, the Templar was spooks. I was referring to them as being CIA agents. So now they continue in new dress. Yeah, that's what I said back then about the um, these Maltese people. Um, and I'll get to that. I kind of wind our way around here. Um, because they all wear that Maltese cross. If you look them up, look for royals wearing Maltese. They wear these long robes with that big old Maltese cross on it. You know, so that thing has been just on my radar forever. And looky here, the Jesuits enter the picture. So, um, one side note, Biden is the second U.S. Catholic president. I got off on that yesterday with that visit from the Pope. All the <laughs> Jesuits meeting together. Um, I also think what I found interesting in going through this Malta stuff, I think I found where they maybe have intersected their hate toward the Muslims. I think they hate Muslims. And why do I think that? Well, I'm pretty sure that all the Muslim leaders are co-opted and are trans and part of their team now. But I believe a lot of people still read the Koran. And I ha now I've only heard this. Okay, I don't know this for a fact. I haven't visited any homes reading Korans. I believe a lot of people who study the Koran get different messages out of it. And I believe that it's possible they haven't polluted the Koran as much as they have the Bible. Where I get this from, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I sort of believe, okay? And I also believe that 9-11 was about hating Muslims. And I don't think it was just a trick. I think it was just a sincere effort to get this entire country to hate Muslims because I even talked to a couple school kids about this. You know, they are embedded in their brains. The Muslims are bad. So that's why I think, and let me get to here, and then you can decide if you think this is what might have intersected their hatred toward the Muslims. Another interesting thing I found out, 
major city in Malta is called Valletta, V-A-L-L-E-T-A. They love that V, right? So, Malta, situated strategically between Europe and Africa. Look up on a map. Do a search. All you have to do is do Malta on a map, on a world map, and it'll show you the little tiny places there. Malta has very rich Jesuit foundations dating back to the times of St. Ignatius, who had seen Malta as a good stepping stone between the continents. Malta is the second, is, is the largest of three major islands. We learned that in another show. It's called Argapetos, I think, when you have more than one island together. I think it's a group of three islands. So anyway, so Malta is one of those. I feel so smart using a new word I just learned. <laughs> Constitute is called the Maltese Archipelago. <clears throat> That's what you call it. It is sometimes referred to as Valletta for statistical purposes to distinguish the main island from the entire country. Malta is in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, directly south of Italy, north of Libya. Boy, all that region, they love to hang out. The island is 27 kilometers long and something about nine miles wide, 14 kilometers wide. Okay, 246 kilometers, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the capital is Valletta, while the largest location is Rabat, R-A-B-A-T. Sounds like rabbi. The island is made up of small towns, which together form one large urban zone with a population of about half a million people. The landscape is characterized by low hills and terrace fields. Oh, also, one other thing about Malta, it's a tax haven. (laughs) Of course, right? (laughs) Okay, the origin of the name Malta is uncertain, and the modern-day variation is derived from the Maltese language. They also have Maltese dogs. The most common autonomy is that the the word Malta is derived from the Greek word meli, which means honey. The ancient Greek called the island melit, meaning honey sweet, possibly for Malta's unique production of honey. An epidemic subspecies of bees hive on the island, I don't know. The Romans called the island melita, which can also be considered a Latinization of... Oh, this is too much for me. Um, anyway, so... Um, this goes back to Melita is a spelling used in the authorized. Oh, let me get to the Bible stuff here. Melita is the spelling used. So you could do a search, use a search and go like Melita, King James Bible, and you could look up how many times Melita was used in the Bible, which made me very suspect of the Bible because I did searches for the usage of blood, searches of the uses of war. Yeah, told kind of a not very peaceful picture there. So um, this was very interesting. So anyways, Melita is a spelling used in the authorized, I don't know why one's authorized, the King James Version of 1611, and in the American Standard Version of 1901. Malta is widely used in more recent versions. So after 1901, you're looking for Malta. So... I want to talk about a couple of crosses here because these crosses can start to get confusing with the Malta cross, which is called the, there's a Malta, there's a flag 
a Malta, the Malta country has a cross on the flag. That is not the right cross. That's a maybe a King George cross. We're looking for the Maltese cross. But we have a couple crosses to talk about first, which look very, very similar to the Maltese cross. We had the Iron Cross, okay? Um, Hitler had reintroduced the Iron Cross. The defeat of Germany in that war did not diminish military pride, and the Iron Cross awarded for recognized valor continued to be a symbol of prestige in interwar years. In the opening hours of World War II, Hitler reintroduced the Iron Cross on September 1, 1939, to invoke the imagery of the gallant Prussian warriors, the great victors of the Bismarck area and the brave soldiers of World War I. On the reverse side of the Nazi Iron Cross was the date 1813, recalling the former, cro- the former cross of a nobler era. Superimposed on the center of the cross, reintroduced by Hitler, was the Nazi swastika. Through the evil purposes which unraveled Hitler as he continued in power, the Iron Cross became identified with a more sinister purpose. But the Iron Cross didn't start off necessarily sinister, okay? So they outlawed the Iron Cross in 45 and reintroduced in 57. Um... Following the end of the Second World War, the swastika was outlawed and its public display prohibited, including all military political words. Okay, West Germany, I don't know. This cross gets a little bit crazy. But anyway, so that cross is the Iron Cross, okay? Look up the Iron Cross, do Iron Cross wiki and get that cross in your head, okay? So there is another cross, okay, and they call it, A sinister, some people have called it a sinister concoction of the Maltese cross, but I think they're just two different crosses. So let's talk a little bit about what their orders are, what are their duties on Malta. According to the Constitution, the members of the Order of Malta are divided into three classes. The members are to conduct their lives in an exemplary manner in conformity with the teachings and precepts of the Catholic Church and to devote themselves to the humanitarian assistance activities of the order. Catholicism is a state religion in Malta. So I had been, how I got to Malta, they say that, um, they say that they're part of these other groups, the Knights of Templar and all that, okay? Um, but let's first talk about who are the Knights of Malta in the United Nations? Well, that would be people like Rothschild, was a high-ranking knight of the sovereign, sovereign military order of Malta. The Morgans, Rockefellers, they were all Jesuits in 1722, so likely there. Um, Amschel Rothschild was one of the sovereign... Knights of Malta. Um, so if you hear somebody's a Knight of Malta, or if they're wearing that one of those things, you got one of those people, right? Both Freemasonry and the Society of Jesus, a.k.a. Jesuit Order, can be seen as having more or less evolved from the Knights Templar, and the Jesuits most likely also had a hand in the creation of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. 
starts to make more sense now. Remember when I was pondering um, that Dixie deal? Um, the money, Dixie, all that stuff back. Anyways, you can look for the show. I think it's got Dixie in the title. We will go through the most... Well, okay. So who are the Knights Templars? Okay. They're called the Legendary Catholic Crusader Military Order. They have... Um, they had these poor folders group. I don't know if I believe that. And these other groups, 1100, not going to go there. But anyway, look up Knights Templar Wiki and you'll get more information than your eyeballs will ever want to look at, okay? But I'm not going to go back thousands of years here. So Malta, officially known as the Republic of Malta, Southern European. Gave you the miles already. I guess I printed it twice. Okay, so... Malta is the world's 10th smallest country in the area, the fourth most densely populated sovereign country. Its capital is Valletta, the smallest nation capital in the European Union. Okay, The official language is Maltese, which is descended from Sicilian, Arabic, Arabic, that developed during the Emirate of Sicily. Okay, so... Italy and Sicily also previously served as official and cultural languages on the island for centuries. That much I do believe. With Italian being the official language in Malta until 1934. I believe the Italian part quite easily. The Pope is Italian, so I didn't have to really scratch my head on that deal, right? So Maltese population being at least conversational in the Italian language. So they speak Italian there, right along with Maltese. And their music sounds suspiciously gypsy, but go look on YouTube for Malta folklore music and see what you hear. So they say it's been inhabited since approximately 5900 B.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is an interesting part. Its location in the center of the Mediterranean, remember, go look at the nautical shows, has historically given it great strategic importance as a naval base with a succession of powers being contested and ruled the islands, including the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians. Okay, there we got, we're back at the sea here now, right? Romans, Greeks, Arabs, Normans, Knights of St. John, French and British, amongst others. Most of these foreign influences have left some sort of mark on the country's ancient culture. So, but Malta became a British colony in 1813, serving as a way station for ships and the headquarters for the British Mediterranean fleet. Why do we always find these freaks around the ocean? Huh, huh, huh. Okay, it was be- Malta was besieged by the Axis powers during World War II and was an important allied base for operations in North Africa and the Mediterranean. The British Parliament passed the Malta Independence Act in 1964, giving Malta independence from the UK as a state of Malta, with Elizabeth II as its queen. The country became a republic in 1974. I guess she's still she's she's still ahead of it. It has since been a member state of the Commonwealth of Nations and the United Nations since independence and joined the European Union in 2004. 
It became part of the Eurozone Monetary Union in 2008. Little country, all these little places, right? Malta, Malta, Malta. Malta has had a Christian since early Christianity. Yeah, we don't care about that. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, oh, I almost skipped past the Muslim part here. Okay. Malta has had Christians since the time of early Christianity, though it was predominantly Muslim while under Arab rule, in which time Christians were tolerated. Muslims at one point ruled Malta. Malta rule ended with the Norman invasion of Malta by Roger I in 1091. So the Muslims were in charge of Malta until this Roger guy got them in 1091. Today, now is that the turning point in the hatred toward Muslims? I don't know. That's why we all have to think about these things. Today, Catholicism is the state religion, but the Constitution of Malta guarantees freedom of conscience and religious worship. <laughs> so does this country, right? <laughs> So anyway, so it's, Malta is considered a tourist destination. People love it there. Okay, I don't know. Oh, I, by 1593, the Jesuits had opened the Collegium Militensi, eventually the University of Malta, a church and novature that also serving the poor, preaching and establishing Marian congregations. I had no clue what Marian congregations were. I'm thinking it's this. Marian conversation, it's spelled M-A-R-I-A-N, congregations. The Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conceptions of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary is a fraternal community of consecrated life in the Roman Catholic Church. In America, the members of the consecration, congregation, are, all this stuff starts with con, right? Con artists are perhaps best known for their work promoting the message of di the divine mercy, from Stock, Stockbridge, Massachusetts. So, the Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, it's a long name, um, I don't know. They're talking about these Marian people, and I don't know, founded by some Marian guy, found in Poland in 1673. Today, the Marian Congregation has well over 500 priests and brothers who labor in 20 countries, including the United States, Argentina, Australia, Belarus, Brazil, Cameron, Czech Republic, Germany, Italy, Kazakhstan, Latvia, Lithuania, Philippines, Poland, Portugal, Rwanda, Ukraine, and the United Kingdom. Phew! Well, the Marians are all over the place, right? Now, how this fits in, I don't have a clue. But... Uh, the Marian congregation is unique in that it is not only a founder saying, I don't know, they call this guy the Lithuanian-born blessed, blessed George Mathetalis, M-A-T-U-L-A-I-T-U-S, if you want to look them up more. Blessed George is credited with saving the Marian congregation from annihilation after he renovated and reformed it in 1910. 
Prior to the renovation, the Marian con congregation had been reduced to just one member due to a relentless, <laughs> oh boy, relentless persecution by Russian authorities. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, so, but here's where we intersect with this 200 time frame, which <clears throat> pay very good attention to this part here, okay? Over 170 years ago, Jesuits returned to Malta following the suppression. I guess a suppression by the, the Muslims back then. They were still filling the Muslims. Okay, today they focus on four areas, youth, education, spirituality, and migrants. With 37 Jesuits in Malta, I don't know where they get that from. <clears throat> but anyway, so um, they say it's independent, but I don't know how independent you are. But um, looking at the map, it's right close to Sicily. I mean, <laughs> right across there, right by the African coast. Um so let's talk about that cross because they're they're all wearing that cross, okay? Um, they have a cross on the flag, but I believe that cross is the um, George one from the UK. But um, sometimes it's called the Saint John Cross and the Eight Point Cross. Probably got that freakish desire for those eights, right? Um. And the Maltese cross has eight points on it, okay? And it's similar, referred to as being similar to four arrowheads. And it is what is thought to have originally been when it formed during the Crusades with the support of Amalfi, whatever that meant, I don't know. And it took, the during supposedly during this crusade, because remember, <clears throat> war, Christians, crusades, um, they started wearing this as a badge, okay? And since then, and since the Order's occupation of Malta, it has been known as the Maltese Cross. The Maltese Cross is the modern version of the cross worn by the Knights of Malta, a group of soldiers charged with protecting crusaders and people on their religious pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Um, Australia also <clears throat> uses something that looks like the Maltese cross on their flag. So look up the British colony of Queensland, Australia, adopted the Maltese cross as a state badge on the flag in 1876 for reasons unknown. Doesn't look exactly like it to me, but it is the same thing. So um, the cross is a symbol adopted to remind Christians of their Lord's saving death, and with an empty cross, his resurrection. That's why I guess there's two crosses, you know, two crosses into one kind of deal. Uh, so, Christian artists have been inspired to produce many variations on the theme. Christian countries use the cross as the main symbol of decorations awarded to those who serve the nation. The Maltese cross used as an identifying insignia on the habit of the Knights of Malta was for the purpose of identifying themselves from their enemies. And now they wear in these long-looking robes with that big old cross plastered on it. That, that, that cross is plastered on there so big that if you don't see it, immediately run to your eye doctor, okay? 
mean, that, that sucker is big. So they say that the Knights of Malta, also known as the Knights of St. John, this is a bunch of, but this part <clears throat> was why I was looking at Malta. The Knights of Malta, also known as the Knights of St. John, or the Hospitaliers. <coughs> Excuse me. I was looking at Malta and these knights because of these Hospitaliers, okay? At one time, I thought Hospitaliers... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought Hospitaliers may be why they use the word hospital. Because I don't think hospital in this country is a good word. <laughs> so, yeah. So I had wound been winding around these people because I was focused on that word hospitaliers. So they were the hospitaliers was a religious order founded by Amalfitian, A M A L F I T I A N merchants around the year 1070. The purpose of the order was to aid and care for pilgrims making the journey to the Holy Land. Helping them, right? In 1136, the Knights became a fully militarized order. The Knights, driven out of Syria, had been fleeing years of persecution by Islamic forces. They acquired Malta as their sovereign land from Charles V of Spain in 1530. This is the time that the Maltese cross evolved into the present-day form. The cross is described as a white, eight-pointed cross. The eight points of the cross are believed to represent the eight vows of the knights they have to observe. So, okay, there are eight points on the Maltese cross each point symbolizing one of the beatitudes given by Jesus Christ. While the symbolism of these eight nightly virtues hasn't changed over the years, their working has. The Maltese cross, like we've established, symbolized a special breed of men and women that take the motto, for the service of mankind as a way of life. Always interesting what they call themselves, right? It is universally agreed upon that the four arms of the cross are indicative of the cardinal virtues. Prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. However, the eight points as a whole don't carry a straightforward meaning, as various authorities have given it different meanings. Yes, it does. Lots of meanings. Not going to try to figure them all out. <laughs> but the meaning of each point was primarily religious before the secular version of the British Royal Order, British Royal Order was released. That version has zero references to the Christian faith and the understanding. Since then, the meaning behind each point has changed to be changed to become observant, tact, resource, dexterity, explicitness, discrimination, perseverance, and sympathy, respectively. And weird deal firemen um claim that they wear a maltese cross but they do not wear a maltese cross lots of firemen's online blabbing about they wear the maltese cross no they don't um so queen elizabeth ii 
she was queen of Malta, okay? From 19... She was head of the state of Malta from 1964 to 1974. Make it 10 years. Malta was an independent state and constitutional monarchy sharing a monarch with other Commonwealth realms, including the UK rules. Elizabeth's constitutional roles in Malta... I should have said Queen Elizabeth. Sounds like she's my best friend, right? My friend Elizabeth, her rules there. Queen Elizabeth's constitutional roles in Malta were mostly delegated to Governor General. Okay. Malta became a republic within the Commonwealth in 1974, and she was replaced by the President of Malta. So, um, I don't know. Um, it says that it originated during the Crusades. All these, I, I believe, I, th- I think some of these stories are, are likely true. Um, I think there's something here with this Malta deal. I think there's something here with the Muslim deal. Obviously, this stuff is going to take a ton more exploring and research to get to. I'm just trying to update you where I am as of today. So, um, this rare... Be- oh. They start dressing different during these crusades, okay? Let me read what they said here, because they always say nice things about themselves, right? This rare breed of champions then started dressing differently and showcasing their status with crimson-colored capes over their suits of armor. Not only did the capes symbolize the status of the knights wearing them, but they were also used as a means of resistance against fire. Yeah, they're all wearing those capes. So those are the capes they're still wearing that came from these things. I've seen pictures of Queen Elizabeth. I've seen pictures of um, Nelson Mandela. I've seen pictures of all of them wearing this cape, okay? They have ceremonies where the queen gives them little um, Maltese cross pins, and then they wear capes. (laughs) These people are just freaks, aren't they? Um, So, yeah, um, it's four or head, meaning at three points. Um... They say the indented V's is without a doubt a Christian symbol. Why, I don't know, but they do love that V symbol, so I have to kind of agree with that. Although many countries and organizations throughout the world use crosses that are similar, if not exact, in shape to the Maltese cross, the fact remains that the Maltese cross has its own specific purpose and should not be confused with other decorations or medals. When you see somebody wearing a Maltese cross, open up those eyeballs, okay? They say the Maltese cross represents courage, honor, and bravery due to its association with the knights. It represents fighting the good fight. Yeah, against the rest of us, right? This is why the symbol is used around the world on medals of honor in places as Germany, Sweden. Yeah, a lot of people actually use that Maltese cross on their honorary awards. So you will see that cross everywhere. And that explains to me why during that time I was so focused on Malta and what was all that about. Okay. Um, that, so the paramedics had some other idea, but they're, they're making up the Malta cross. That's not really a Malta cross, Maltese cross. Um, the one the fire people are talking about is called the Florine cross, F-L-O-R-I-A-N cross. While the Maltese cross has eight sharp points, the Florin cross has rounded edges. You'll see that fireman logo 
all over the place. I don't know if it's just in this country all over the world. Um, it's the Florin cross and not the Maltese cross that's typically used. And I'd like to close out the show today. Thank you for joining me. This has been quite a little adventure here. Make sure I got all my notes here. Um, this will be the 19... I think the movie The Maltese Falcon came out in 1941. And they did a radio version in 1943 starring the same actors, which I found to be phenomenal to listen to. So I thought for your listening pleasure, stick around. It's only about a half an hour for the show. And they will... You can tune back into how people used to absorb information back then. They actually sat quietly, thought about things. They weren't texting people. They weren't doing anything else but just sitting there and thinking and listening. So enjoy the show. Be safe out there. Chat with you later. Goodbye for now. presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, The Maltese Falcon. The starring players, this is Humphrey Bogart. This is Mary Astor. This is Sidney Greenstreet. And this is Peter Laurie. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Warner Brothers' sensational mystery story, The Maltese Falcon. It stars Humphrey Bogart as Private, Detective Sam Spade, Mary Astor as Miss Wonderly, Sidney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman, and Peter Laurie as Joel Cairo. <laughs> This is the story of the Maltese Falcon and of the people whose lives it touched and seared. It began in San Francisco when a beautiful young woman, who identified herself as Miss Wonderly, walked into the offices of Spade and Archer, private detectives. Miss Wonderly had just told Sam Spade why she wished to engage detectives when Spade's partner, Miles Archer, entered the office. Oh, excuse me, Sam. Now, it's all right, Miles. Come in. Miss Wendley, this is Miles Archer, my partner. How do you do? Well, I'm pleased to meet you. Miss Wendley's sister ran away from New York with a fellow named Floyd Thursby. They're here in San Francisco. Miss Wendley has seen Thursby and has a date with him tonight. Maybe he'll bring the sister with him. The chances are he won't. Miss Wendley wants us to find the sister, get her away from Thursby, and back home. But I want you to know that he's a dangerous man. I don't think he'd stop at anything. I don't believe he'd hesitate to kill Corinne, my sister, if he thought it would save him. Uh-huh. What time is he coming to see you, Miss Wendley? After 8 o'clock. All right, Miss Wendley, we'll have a man then. Oh, I'll look after it myself. Thank you, Mr. Archer. Will uh, $200 be enough for a retainer? Plenty. Oh, it'll help if you meet Thursby in your hotel lobby, Miss Wendley. I will. Thank you again. Goodbye. Well, Archer, what do you think of her? Sweet. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy shadowing her. Okay, sucker. You call me if you run into any trouble. 
Yes, it's Spade. This is Lieutenant Dundee, Spade. Now, what's on your mind, copper? I thought you might be interested in knowing that your partner, Archer, was found in an alley near the St. Mark, shot through the heart from close range. Blast burnt his coat. Coming down for a look at him before he's moved? No. You've seen everything I could. His gun was tucked away on his hip. It hadn't been fired. His overcoat was buttoned. Was he working, Sam? Well? He was supposed to be tailing a fellow named Floyd Thursby. What for? And I don't crowd me. I'll see you after I break the news to Archer's wife. I'll be there in a couple of hours. Copper, come on in. Break the news to Archer's wife, Sam? Uh-huh. What kind of a gun do you carry? None. I don't like them much. You don't just happen to have one on you. Search me. Turn the dump upside down if you want to. I won't squawk if you've got a search warrant. Why were you tailing Floyd Thursby, Sam? I wasn't. Archer was. For the swell reason that we had a client who was paying good money to have him tailed. Who's the client? Sorry, I can't tell you that. You didn't go to Archer's house to tell his wife. I called up and the girl from your office was there and she said you told her to go. What are you leading up to? Just this, Spade. Floyd Thursby was shot down in front of his hotel about a half an hour after I talked to you. Oh. I came into my apartment just a few minutes ahead of you. I was walking around thinking things over. I knew you weren't here. I tried to get you on the phone. Where'd you walk to? Just around. Thursby die? Yeah. How'd I kill him? I forget. He was shot four times in the back. Hotel people know anything about him? Nothing. Except he'd been there a week. Alone? Alone. You find out who he was, what his game was? No, I thought you could tell me that. <laughs> I've never seen Thursby dead or alive. Now, look, Spade, you know me. If you did get Thursby, you'll get a square deal from me and most of the breaks. I don't know that I'd blame you a lot, man that kills your partner. But that wouldn't keep me from nailing you. That's fair enough. Now, would you mind scramming? I got some thinking to do, and I'd like to get a little sleep before daylight. Hello? Yeah, this is Sam Spade. Oh, I was just going to call you. Where are you? Well, the coronet on California Street, apartment 101. What's that? The name's Miss LeBlanc. Okay, I'll I'll be right out. Oh, good morning. Come in, Mr. Spade. Mr. Spade, I have a terrible, terrible confession to make. That uh, that story I told you yesterday was all just a story. Huh. Oh, that. Well, uh <laughs> We didn't exactly believe your story, Miss... Uh, is your name Wonderly or LeBlanc? It's really O'Shaughnessy, Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Oh. Well, Miss O'Shaughnessy, as I said, we, we didn't exactly believe your story. We believed your $200. Oh? Yes, you see, you paid us too much to be telling the truth. You knew that when you accepted the money? Oh, I suspected it. I was positive when Joel Cairo called on me. Joel Cairo? Yeah. Yeah, he seems interested in Floyd Thursby, too. What did he say? About what? About me? Nothing. Well, what did he talk about? Well, he offered me $5,000 for a black statuette of a bird. He was pretty sure I had it or knew where it was. Do you? 
Oh, I think I know someone who does, and $5,000 is a lot of money. But right now, the police are trying to find out who hired us to tail Floyd Thursday. Mr. Spade, do they know about me? Well, I don't think they do. I've been able to stall them so far. Must they know about me at all, Mr. Spade? Couldn't you manage somehow to shield me from them? Maybe. But I'll have to know what it's all about. I can't tell you now. Later I will, when I can. You must trust me, Mr. Spade. Oh, I, I'm so alone and afraid. I've got nobody to help me if you won't help me. Be generous, Mr. Spade. You're strong. You're brave. You can spare me some of that strength and courage, surely. <laughs> Sister, you don't need much of anybody's help. You're good. Chiefly your eyes, I think, and that throb you get in your voice when you say things like, be generous, Mr. Spade. All right. I deserve that. But the lie was in the way I said it, and not at all in what I said. Ah, now you are dangerous. Still, Cairo offered me $5,000. It's far more than I could ever offer you if I must bid for your life. <laughs> yeah, that's good coming from you. Have you given me any of your confidence, any of the truth? I can't go ahead without more confidence in you than I have now. Can't you trust me just a little while? Well, how much is a little? And what are you waiting for? I must talk to Joe Cairo. Oh. Well, you can see him tonight. I know where to reach him. Oh, he can't come here. I can't let him know where I am. I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, we'll all meet at my place, then. All right. <laughs> I'm delighted to see you again, Miss O'Shaughnessy. I was sure you would be, Joe. Mr. Spade told me about your offer for the Maltese Falcon. How soon can you have the money ready? Oh, it is ready. You are ready to give us $5,000 if we turn the falcon over to you? I shall be able to give you the money as soon as uh, the bank opens in the morning. But I haven't got the falcon. Then why did you send for me? Because I'll have it in another week. Yes? Where is it? Where Floyd hid it. If you know where he hid it, why, why must we wait a week? And why are you willing to sell it to me? I'm afraid. After what happened to Floyd, I'm afraid to touch it except to turn it over to somebody else right away. Exactly what did happen to Floyd? The fat man. Gutman? Is he here? I don't know. I suppose so. Uh, if you two let me interrupt for a second, I can answer that. Gutman is here. How do you know? Because he called me and asked me to see him. Have you? Not yet. I thought that after our friend Cairo here left, I'd find out just how you and I stand before I took on any more clients. Now, do you know how you and I stand, Sam? Yeah. If I can believe anything about you. But you're such a liar. I am a liar. I've always been a liar. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't brag about it. Was there any truth at all in that yarn you were telling me about Thursby and the Falcon? Some. Not very much. Well, we've got all night before us. Uh, I'm, I'm so tired. So tired of lying and thinking up lies and not knowing what is a lie and what is the truth. I wish... Now look, honey. I think I'd better have a talk with Gutman in the morning. Oh. 
Now, Mr. Gutman, shall we talk about the falcon? No. Oh. By all means, Mr. Spade. But first, sir, answer me a question. Are you here as Mr. O'Shaughnessy's representative? Well, there's nothing certain about it either way yet. It depends. Maybe it depends on Joel Cairo? Maybe. The question then, Mr. Spade, is which you'll represent. It will be Mr. O'Shaughnessy or Mr. Cairo. I didn't say so. Who else is there? There's me. <laughs> oh, well, that's wonderful, sir, wonderful. I do like a man who tells you right out he's looking out for himself. Don't we all? Uh-huh. Now let's talk about the blackbird. Let's, Mr. Spade. Have you any conception of how much money can be got out of that blackbird? No, but you just tell me what it is, and I'll figure out the profits. You mean you don't know what that bird is? Well, I know it's black enamel and about a foot high, and I know the value in human life you people put on it. Mr. O'Shaughnessy didn't tell you what it is? He offered and me... And ten... didn't either? He offered me 10000 for it. Do either of them know what that bird is, sir? What is your impression? Well, there's not much to go by, but uh, well, I don't think so. If they don't know, I'm the only one in the whole wide, sweet world who does. Good. And when you tell me, there'll be two of us. <laughs> Mathematically correct, sir. But I don't know for certain that I'm going to tell you. Well, you think again and think fast. You'll do your talking today. You're through. What are you wasting my time for? I can get along without you. That remains to be seen, Mr. Spade. There are ways. And there's another thing. Keep that gunman of yours away from me while you're making up your mind or I'll kill him. <laughs> well, sir, I must say you have a very violent temper. Think it over. You've got till 5.30. Then you're either in or out for keeps. Wilma. I'm going to kill that guy. I could have done it easy when he was standing there with his back to me. Of course you could, my boy. But business before pleasure. And we'll be seeing Mr. Spade again before 5.30. So ends Act One of the Maltese Falcon, starring Peter Lorre, Sidney Greenstreet, Mary Astor, and Humphrey Bogart. Act Two in just a moment. But first, here's a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. Some weeks ago, I was being shown through a shipyard, one of the largest in the country, and stopped to chat with a young woman wearing a safety mask. It gave her a stern, rather severe look. But when she removed the mask to chat with me, she was young and blonde and very lovely. Her skin looked so dainty and fresh that I just couldn't resist saying, My, you look as though you just stepped out of a bandbox. She laughed and said, Oh, wife, I've been on the job since early this morning, and I haven't even had time to repowder my face. But after all, I do use your powder, you know. Of course, she's only one of millions of busy, important women who use Lady Esther face powder, partly because of its remarkable clinging quality. They explain that when they use Lady Esther face powder, they have the comfortable feeling that their skin always looks smooth and fresh, never streaked, caked, or shiny. But that's only one of the reasons why more lovely women now use Lady Esther face powder than any other kind. There are two other important reasons. First, the texture of my powder is so flattering that it hides little lines and blemishes, makes your skin look younger. And second, the shades of Lady Esther face powder are so rich, vivid, and alive, they give new interest, a look of new beauty to your skin. And both the unusual texture and the flattering shades are the result of my patented twin hurricane method of making face powder. So if you'd like to have your skin look softer, smoother, younger, and look that way for hours at a time, just try Lady Esther face powder. 
is on the second act of the Maltese Falcon, starring Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade, Mary Astor as Bridget O'Shaughnessy, Sidney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman, the fat man, and Peter Laurie as Joel Cairo. <laughs> afternoon following Sam Spade's visit to Gutman's apartment. A dying man staggered into Spade's office and collapsed on the floor. He died before he could speak to Spade, but his papers identified him as Captain Jacoby of the steamship La Paloma, and clutched to his bullet-torn chest was the Maltese Falcon. After depositing the Falcon in a railroad station check room and mailing the identification check to his private post office box, Sam met Bridget O'Shaughnessy and took her to his apartment. No, Sam, I never would have faced myself in this position if I hadn't trusted you completely. Oh, that again? But you know that's so. Uh, you don't have to trust me as long as you can persuade me to trust you. But, Sam, darling... Oh, I think we'd better let it go at that until we see what happens after Gutman gets here. The fat man? Here? Certainly, why not? Anyway, that should be him. So it's too late to change our plans. I'll be right back. Oh, hello, Gutman. Good evening, sir. I see you brought company. I can understand the gunman, but I didn't know Cairo was a friend of yours. <laughs> we're old acquaintances. Now that we're all here, let's go in and sit down and be comfortable and talk. Oh, sure. Come on in. Now, look, Angel. Gutman brought a couple of friends along. Good evening, Mr. Shaughnessy. Hello, Joe. You look unusually charming this evening, my dear. Thanks. The uh, gunsel doesn't talk, Angel. Get away from me, punk. Stand still and shut up. Listen, you're not going to frisk me, touch me, and I'm going to make you use that gun. Ask your boss if he wants me shut up before we talk. Never mind, Wilma. <laughs> you're certainly a most headstrong and unpredictable individual, Mr. Spade. Now, why did you send for me? You ready to make the first payment and take the falcon off my hands? The falcon? That's right, Angel. I've got it. Well, sir, I have in this envelope $10,000. $10,000? Oh, we were talking about more money than that. Yes, sir, we were, but there are more of us to be taken care of now. <laughs> well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. I shouldn't think it would be necessary to remind you, Mr. Spade, that uh, though you may have the falcon, yet we certainly have you. Yes, I'm trying not to let that worry me, but uh, let the money wait. There's another thing to be taken care of first. We've got to have a fall guy. A bigger pardon? Police have got to have a victim, somebody they can stick for those three murders. Two, two. Only two murderers, Mr. Spade. Thursby undoubtedly killed your partner. All right, all right, two then. Now, the point I've got to give the police a victim when the time comes. If I don't, I'll be it. Uh, let's give him, uh, let's give him Wilmer here. Why, you dirty rat. He actually did shoot Thursby and Jacoby, didn't he? Anyway, he's made to order for the part. Let's turn him over to them. <laughs> By God, so you are a character, that you are. <laughs> There's ever, never any telling what you'll say or do next, except that it's bound to be something astonishing. Well, that's our best bet. With him in their hands, the police will forget the rest of us. Your plan is not at all practical, sir. Let's not say anything more about it. All right. I have another suggestion. Let's give him Cairo. Well, by God, sir. Suppose we give him you, Mr. Spade, or, or Mr. Shaughnessy. How about that, huh? Sam, you wouldn't. You people want the fork, and I've got it. Fall guy is part of the price I'm insisting on. You seem to forget you're not in a position to insist on anything. No? If you kill me, how are you going to get the falcon? By God, so you are a character. <laughs> well? Well, what else can I do? I'm sorry, Wilma. Terribly sorry. 
I want you to know that I couldn't be any fonder of you if you were my own son. But, well, if you lose a son, it's possible to get another. And there's only one Maltese falcon. You rat, I'll kill you for this! <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Spade. When you're as young as Wilmer, one simply doesn't understand these things. <laughs> and how about some coffee, Bridget? Put the pot on, will you? I don't like to leave my guests. Surely. Anything to get out of here. Now, sir, let's get down to business. I ought to have more than 10000 Of course, sir, you understand this is the first payment. You still don't understand the falcon's worth. Well, a black enamel bird can't be worth millions. But it is. Otherwise, I should not have spent 17 years of my life trying to uh, acquire it. The black enamel you refer to, sir, is merely camouflage, covering a solid gold bird encrusted from head to foot with the finest jewel. Okay. So I get millions later. How's about 15000 now? Frankly and candidly, and on my word of honor as a gentleman, 10000 I gave you is all the money I can raise right now. Yeah, but you didn't say positively. <laughs> positively. Well, if that's the best you can do, it's the best you can do. But it's understood the punk has to stand as the fall guy. That is part of our agreement, sir. Okay, I'll make a phone call. The falcon will be here in an hour. <laughs> not the Maltese falcon. This is a lead imitation covered with the same enamel. See where I've shaved it off with a knife lead? Surely you bungled it. You, Gutman, you and your stupid attempt to buy it from the Russian who owned it. He caught on to how valuable it was. No wonder we had so little trouble stealing it. You, you imbecile, you, you bloated idiot. Well, sir, what do you suggest? Shall we stand here and shed tears and call each other names? Or shall we pay the Russian another call in Istanbul? Are you going? Seventeen years I've wanted that little item, and I intend to get it. Another year? Well, sir, that will be an additional expenditure of time on only five and fifteen seventeenths percent. I go with you. Good. And Wilma? Wilma, you... Where? Where is the boy? He must have had made his getaway while we were unwrapping the fog. A swell lot of thieves. Well, sir... I left to ask you to return my 10000 I held up my end. It's your hard luck, not mine, if you didn't get what you wanted. I'm sorry, but I must insist. Oh, a hideout gun, huh? Okay. Thank you, sir. The shortest farewells are the best. Adieu. And to you, Miss O'Shaughnessy, I leave the fake Fulton, Falcon, as a little memento. <laughs> Come, girl. Hello, police department. Lieutenant Dundee there, put him on. Tell him Sam Spade's calling. Now, look, Angel. Gutman and Cairo will talk when the cops nail them about us. We've only got minutes to get set for the police. Now, give me your whole story fast. Well, where... Where shall I begin? Uh, the day you first came to my office... Why did you want Thursby shadowed? I, I suspected him of betraying me to Gutman, and I wanted to find That's out. That's Gutman tried to make a deal with him. You had Thursby hooked, and you knew it. You wanted to get him out of the way before Captain Jacoby arrived with the falcon. Isn't that so? What was your scheme? I thought if he saw someone following him, he might be frightened into going away. Now look, Archer hadn't many brains, but he wasn't clumsy enough to be spotted the first night. You must have told Thursby he was being followed. I told him. Yes. 
But please believe me, Sam, I wouldn't have told him if I'd thought Floyd would kill him. If you thought he wouldn't kill Archie, you were right, Angel. Didn't he? Archie had been a detective too long to be caught shadowing a man up a blind alley with his gun tucked away in his hip and his overcoat button. But he'd have gone up there with you, Angel. He was just dumb enough for that. Sam. And then you could have stood as close to him as you liked there in the dark. Put a hole through him with a gun you'd gotten from Thursby that evening. Don't, don't talk to me like that, Sam. You know I didn't. Now, the police will be blowing in any minute now, Angel. Talk. Oh, why do you accuse me of such a terrible... Why did you shoot Archer? You thought Thursby would tackle him and one or the other would go down. If Thursby was killed, then you were rid of him. If it was Archer, then you could see that Thursby was caught. Was that it? Something. And when something you find like out that. that Thursby didn't mean to tackle Archer, you borrowed the gun and did it yourself, right? I guess so. I know so. You didn't know Gutman was here looking for you until you learned Thursby was shot. Then you needed another protector. So you came back to me. Yes, but... Oh, sweetheart, it wasn't only that. I, I would have come back to you sooner or later. From the very first instant I saw you, I knew that... Ah, oh, you angel. Well, if you get a good break, you'll be out of San Quentin in 20 years. Sam, you're not... Yes, angel. I'm going to send you over. But if they hang you, I'll always remember you. Don't, Sam. Don't say that. Even in fun. It's not fun. I happen to be in the detective business, and you killed my partner. Bad business to let the killer get away with it. Bad for every detective in this country. You're taking the fall. You've been playing with me, only pretending you cared to trap me like this. You didn't care at all. You don't love me. Uh, I... I think I do. But what of it? I won't play the sap for you. You know it's not like that. You can't say that. I am saying it. You know down deep in your heart, you know that in spite of everything I've done, I love you. I don't care who loves who. You killed Archer. You're going over for it. Come in. Oh, hello, Copper. Hello, Sam. You get Gutman and Cairo? I got Cairo. Gutman's dead. Kid Wilmer had just finished shooting him when we got there. So I ought to have expected that. You better put the cuffs on Angel, Copper. We're taking her down to the station. What charge? Sam. Murder. She shot Miles Archer. Oh, and you better bring that blackbird along, too, Copper. It's part of the evidence against Cairo. Hey, this is heavy. What's it made of? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. <laughs> So ends the story of the Maltese Falcon. Thank you, Mary Astor, Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Greenstreet, and Peter Laurie for appearing with the Lady Astor Screen Guild players tonight and also for telling us a most exciting story. It was our pleasure, Mr. Bradley. We all had a wonderful time making the picture, and the radio version tonight brought back some wonderful memories. Then, too, knowing that the benefits from these programs support the motion picture country house and clinic give us an added incentive. And now, before we tell you about next week's program... Here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Astor. Ladies, you know it's surprising the number of letters new users of Lady Esther face powder have sent me in the last few months. So many of them say the same thing, that Lady Esther face powder is an entirely different kind of powder, that it does wonderful things for the appearance of the skin, <clears throat> makes it look softer, smoother, and often years younger. 
Well, Lady Esther face powder is more flattering, more becoming. Because my powder isn't just mixed, just blended like ordinary face powder. It's made by a method new, unique, exclusively mine. You see, Lady Esther face powder is blown at whirling speed by my famous twin hurricanes. Yes, my patented twin hurricane process blows and whips color and powder particles together until they're evenly married, blended into a fine, smooth, sheer mist of beauty, finer in texture and truer in shade than powder ever made by ordinary methods. That's why Lady Esther face powder smooths on so much more evenly, and why the shades of my powder are so clear and alive they make your skin younger-looking, more vivid, far lovelier. Why don't you try Lady Esther face powder and see how much happier you'll be with the appearance of your skin? Before we tell you about next week's program, Humphrey Bogart has a word to say from our government. You all know the third war loan drive is on full steam. The drive to back the attack our fighting forces are making against our enemies. As our share toward victory, we at home must buy $15 billion worth of war bonds, which means each one of us must dig down deeper into our own pockets. Each of us must buy at least one extra bond this month. We have to win this war, and we will win, all right. But how soon we win is up to every one of us. So buy an extra war bond this week, sure, to help speed our day to victory. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present highlights from Warner Brothers' great new musical picture, Thank Your Lucky Stars. It will star Joan Leslie, Dennis Morgan, Dinah Shore, and Eddie Cantor. Be sure to listen. Humphrey Bogart can soon be seen in the Warner Brothers' production, Thank Your Lucky Stars. Mary Astor is currently playing in the Metro-Golden-Mayer Technicolor production, Thousands Cheer. Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To help your government save tin, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream, and at the same time, you will save yourself money to invest in war bonds and stamps. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther. Thank you. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.